Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Sam Humphrey from Grit Limited and you're listening to the Coaching Stories podcast. This podcast builds on the groundbreaking book, Coaching Stories, Flowing and Falling of Being a Coach, that I co-authored with my great friend and colleague, Karen Dean. Today's guest is one of the pioneers of coaching and supervision. It's none other than Professor Peter Hawkins. Hi, Peter. Welcome to Coaching Stories. Hi, Sam. It's great to connect with you again. And I I loved your book. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was saying to you early, Peter, that I figured out that we've known each other for over 20 years now, which is uh, came as a great shock to me because it doesn't seem that long ago. But our paths first crossed when I was working at Unilever as the global head of coaching. We then also saw each other at various conferences that we were attending and speaking at and stuff. And then, of course, you trained me to be a coaching supervisor. Indeed. I remember Um, it well, Sam. A very (laughs) challenging group member and trainee. Dear me. Yes, I thought you might say something like that. I also got quite sick of quoting your books in my doctorate thesis. Um, But as you're one of the early pioneers of coaching supervision, I suppose it only seems right that you were such a significant reference in my my work. Um, So you have been in this field for a long time um, and the coaching landscape must have been very different when you first got into coaching. So... I don't think I've ever heard you tell this story. How did you get into coaching? Oh, um, I, I kind of fell into it, Sam. Um, I, when I, you told me just now your daughter's at drama school. When I was at university, uh, despite what I was meant to be studying, I spent most of my time in drama, directing plays. That took me in the late 60s, early 70s, street theatre, radical theatre. Wow. Um, and I got more and more interested in the process rather than the, the performance. Mm. I went off to do a master's in, 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 in drama therapy in Canada and fell out with the university. Came back here and, and, and in the, the 70s, I, was main, I worked in therapeutic communities. Um, for people coming out of mental hospital. And I was running a large therapeutic community, um, which was also the training house globally for this organization, a ridiculously young age. And I, through that is where I first led supervision, first read about supervision in the 70s. Um, but I started to realize that most mental health organizations were, were more disturbed than the people they were treating. Oh, dear. <laughs> And that took me into organizational learning, pre-Peter Senge back in the, did my doctorate in organizational learning, um, started to, um, uh, uh, but already I, I was working before doing the doctorate as a consultant to, in, in prisons, mental health, social work, hospitals. Yeah. And so I think my first, Coaching invoice was 1978. Wow. Um, which makes me feel very old. Um, and and it was just beginning. So, you know, this is this was um when John this is when Graham Alexander first did grow and then John Whitmore kind of um yeah. promoted it. So I knew Graham and John and 
there were very few of us around in those days who were, were, were kind of doing the work. And so I've seen it grow and develop a lot. But I was already, it, because I was coming from a mental health background, I was trained as a psychotherapist. I was already supervising psychotherapy. That's why, you know, at the end of the 90s, people came knocking on my door saying, you know, we need to have supervision coaching. You've written about supervision in social work and psychotherapy and psychology. Will you bring that, you know, into the coaching profession? Nice. And that's been an interesting journey in the last mm. 25 years. I take it you use that the word interesting in the very British way that we we mean that word. Yeah, but 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 it's also very exciting because you know we have seen it go from being talked about but not practiced to to spreading around the world. And and I think finally, I think we're on the verge of it being accepted by all the professional bodies, not just the students, but as a lifetime part of, you know, the day here I am, what, 45 years later. And and the day I, I stop being supervised is the day I should stop practicing. Mm. Hmm. Fabulous. If I'm not learning, you know, if I'm not learning, then the class won't be learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So as as you know, this podcast is about um, sharing stories and we are going to share a falling story and a flowing story. Um, What I'm particularly pleased about is you're going to talk about more around team coaching, which not, as you know, not everybody is in that space or prepared or happy or capable to talk in that space. And you absolutely are. So do you want to start with your falling story, Peter? Yeah, and I think often what I realised over the years is often our biggest successes can also be our biggest failures. Those two can arrive Mm -hmm. together. Um, and so I thought it'd be good to talk about uh, just before you and I first met, um, where I was working with a large organization, um, and I was brought in to coach a top team of 17 people, right, which is a big challenge in itself, yeah. with, with about seven strategic initiatives. Mm-hmm. And how do we get all those on, on, on one page and one change process? And um, we did some fantastic, but what I what I failed to do early on was to realize that um, I was focused on the team and how it engaged its employees mm. and how it engaged its customers. Mm. I was looking for the team down, not the team up. Ah. And about three months in, I became clearer and clearer that the chief exec um, was loved by his staff. You know, he very much saw himself as a man of the people. This organization was 12,000 people. So big. Quite big internationally. Everywhere he went, he was charismatic, he was loved, but totally unmanageable. And he had a a good close relationship with the chair of his board, but he was managing to alienate all the other members of the board. Mm. And the government also had a stake in this organization. And he was managing to alienate um, his political um, 
people he had to, to partner with. So we had fantastic partnering internally. But, and and I, I thought, you know, Peter, you, you've got to challenge this. Because, you know, and I pointed out to the members of the team, they said, well, you know, you take him on, not us. <laughs> I thought, God, um, well, how do I do that? And and I, I so it happened we were traveling together with the team internationally and I was flying with him. I thought, well, I'd use the opportunity to fly. Um, and I tried to kind of challenge this issue. But both, what I think is, you know, I always say as coaches, we need to challenge much more. All the research says, if you talk to top clients, senior executives, they want more challenge from their coaches. Yes. But you need to challenge without knowing better or knowing first. And I, I, I think my anxiety, my worry about this meant um, we, we, we got into a, yeah, um, which meant I, I didn't walk alongside him in a, in a matching way to the learning edge. Right. So that we had a, 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 a shared concern before mm. we had a shared way forward. And because I say that, you know, all the great coaching really happens at the learning edge where they don't have the answer, I don't have the answer, but we, we're both clear that we need to find an answer. And and I I don't think my relationship with that chief exec ever really recovered from that. Right. Um, and certainly his relationship did not improve with the board or with other um key stakeholders and of course we did a brilliant culture change together and team change and but ultimately it was going to end with a fallout between him and, and i knew it in my heart of hearts but i couldn't land and and you know that i felt quite responsible for quite some time mm. um but what i learned from that was now you know I know you're gonna ask me what do I wish somebody said to me? What I always say to me, if you're gonna work with a top team, always have an anchor at the level above. Mm. So I now say if people say come and work with us as a top team, I say, well, if I would do that, well I never say yes or no, I say maybe. <laughs> Let me first go and talk the chief exec yeah. Some of the members of the team, and let me talk to the chairman of the board, and I'll come back and tell mm. you whether I'm willing to take take this work on. And and I've had to say to a couple of chief execs, say, "Oh no, 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 you know, I just leave this for my team, and I don't think I'm ready." I say, "Look, if you can't trust me to go and talk to your chair without talking about you or being yeah. judgmental or critical, then I'm not sure we're going to be able to work together." So mm. here's the choice. Mm. In the end, they all say, oh, oh, right. Because I've discovered it, unless I build that bridge from day one, yeah. it becomes harder to build it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I guess you've answered part of that question in terms of um, what you wish you'd asked, Peter. But if you think about that, that team, what do you wish they told you? I, I'd wished... 
I wished that, well, partly, it's not just what they told me, it's the questions. When I first went around and, and met with each of them, I think I should have asked, okay, I can hear where you think we need to go on this bit, but what are the four or five ways that, that we could do, this could get derailed? Mm. And which are the most likely? Yeah. And I think that way they may have told me, well, actually, somewhere they knew that they were um, they were they were making fantastic speedy process, but the ice was getting thinner. Mm. Mm. And I didn't ask that question. Mm. I, what are the four or five ways this could really get derailed? So you also said earlier that you felt quite responsible for that for some time. And and one of the things that um, we say about all the stories that our guests share is that they are at peace with them. <laughs> you know, that nobody needs to stage an intervention to make sure that you're okay. So how did you get to a point of being okay with it? Well, the, the supervision I needed, Sam, was was supervision that would pick up how I was going into um, anger and blame of them, and then blame of myself, and then blame of right. them and myself. Um, and you know, I, I'm so pleased I've had that experience. Mm. Right? It's 20, 22, 23 years ago, but it's transformed my ability mm. to to actually work systemically with um, teams, and it's really, really. Um, meant that I, you know, I know some of the tent pegs that need to be in place before the thunderstorm comes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as, as you say, you know, um, even at its most basic level, I think contracting for team coaching is incredibly complex. Very complex. Particularly if it's systemic team coaching, mm. when you're not just working with team relating to itself mm. but how is that team uh, relating and partnering upwards downwards upstream downstream all the stakeholders yes wider ecology communities where they operate yeah and mm. um so i think i think it was a it was you know like you i talk about quality failures which is where the the value of the learning is greater than the cost of the failure. Right. Right. And we need quality failures. And I think it was for my work. So I, I think I, you know, I now got enormous gratitude for them. Mm. Um, and, but then I started to feel guilty about, well, did, did they learn enough from that? Mm. And it's interesting that I have gone back into that organization the last two or three years, right? And uh, part of what I've taken back in, the people who weren't around then, yeah, yeah, is my story and my learning from that period. Mm. To ask the question, has the organisation learned from that? Mm. Brilliant. Lovely. It's nice when um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've... I've reached that stage in my career too where I hold at times more institutional memory than some of my clients. Um, and that that's an interesting phenomenon, I always, I always think. Um, 
Brilliant. Okay. So that's your, your falling story and one I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of people, regardless of their level of experience about paying attention to. I, I like the term tent pegs a lot uh, in terms of making sure you're well set up. So a flowing story, Peter, a time when, when you were being your best coach. Well, um, th this is one some of your people may have heard from me. I, 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 I'm going to change it. Um, no, no, I will go with, I'll stick to the one I was going to do, which is very recent because it's February. The last year and a half, I've been working with a, a, a global engineering company. And really interesting. This is one where I did say that I need to talk to some team members, the CEO, board. Um, and they wanted to go from being a, a global exco to a global enterprise leadership team. Okay. That sounds very interesting. What's the, you know, tell me how you understand that difference. And that's meant that we've ended up working with that team, the board, 12 teams at the next level. And um, it's been quite a journey. Mm. And if we talk about a flow moment, um, they've been around for 95 years or something. They're an engineering company. They work with big cities on up in the, with their whole water infrastructure or you know big water systems and ports and transport and very importantly, you know, I I was very taken to work with them because they're working on the, the future of water, the future of uh, energy, the future of community, which is where my ecological commitment really um, feels. Yeah, this is somewhere where, where we can help an engineering company make a real difference with governments and local government and industry. And um, in February, they brought their top 120 people. They said, look, we'll only do this if you'll come and be there. And I said, well, I, I don't try, you know, I, I'm trying to reduce my global travel way, way down. Yeah. And then they, in the end, they can... They convinced, I said, you're going to have to show me that the ecological benefit of me coming to Los Angeles is uh, going to be greater than um, the cost of me and others flying there, particularly business class, because at my age, I'm not, I'm not going to fly out not business class to Los Angeles. Um, so we went through that, and then we just started, I said, look, so... Let's start with the end in mind. What, what what do people need to leave here having thought differently, felt differently, and already doing differently? Mm. So for the first time in 95 years, they had a top 120 people gathering. No platform, no podium, no presenters, no PowerPoints, no audience. Right? We had 12 round tables. Each table had one of the um, the enterprise leadership team or the next level facilitating it. Right. So we had to work with that team on how to facilitate rather than lead. Right. Um, as they, we were south of Los Angeles in Huntington Beach, and as people came in, a big ballroom with, a, with a, like a ball ring in the middle with 12 tables around it, 
right, with like spotlights, everything on, on the center, and uh, with uh, surfing USA blaring out. Fantastic. And you can imagine all these engineers really worried about well, where's the agenda? <laughs> and I coached the CEO to, to, you know, how to speak in the middle of a, a ball ring and how to, to, to really ask from his heart for help from 120 people from around the world. And uh, we went through quite a few rehearsals. And then I got up and I said, look, I, I understand many of you are anxious about not having an agenda. So let me share the agenda with you. Day one, where does this company need to be in 2027 to double its beneficial impact in the world? Day two, co-creating a roadmap to get there. Day three, making it happen in the room before we leave. And what did you do in the afternoons, Peter? <laughs> well, you know, we we worked. I had a good colleague working with me, plus all you know, some internal support. Um, but we were working probably from 7 in the morning till about 10 at night. Yeah. And, and I tell you, I was not exhausted yet, and I was energised. Yeah, lovely. I left those three days just full of energy. Yeah, fabulous. That's three, you know that's three three long days mm. um, because lots of side conversation. We had people. We every, every session started with a client video talking. Right. We created the questions for the clients, and our internals have gone up and done the interviews, and talking about how life was changing for them and what they needed different from this engineering company. Mm. Very powerful. Yeah. We had groups standing up. So, so just one moment. This is real, which is I, I loved, which was um, where on well, the day three, making it happen, we talked about they wanted to be a seamlessly networked global organization without a headquarters and where they were partnering locally, but they were resourcing globally and knowledge exchanging globally. I got them to do in their sport tables, brainstorms of what were the the disconnections in, in the fabric of the seamless network that needed connecting. Mm. Right? And they all did it and they prioritized it and they shared that and added to their own lists. And I said, all right, now I want each of you individually to write down what are the three disconnections that you can change in the next hour. We got 120 people standing in a big circle. So now eyeball the people you have to connect with, right? To connect that disconnection. Mm -hmm. Start pointing at them. Right? And we did a couple of rounds, two or three rounds. They had to go. They had to work out what they collectively needed to do to connect that disconnection. Then they had to come back into a 120 person standing circle as a as a three or foursome, and tell the whole group what they were going to do, mm. fix that joint. Very powerful. And and you know the, to see th three silos come back in, right? Who had been in antagonism with each other, with their arms around each other, saying to their whole group, many of people who reported to them, we are going to one global organization we are going to take down these walls and this is how we're going to do it 
moments like that I'd pay to do stuff, you know. <laughs> I mean, but of course, because this is a um, an audio podcast, what people can't see is the physical change in your demeanour just telling that story. So much more energy coming through the screen just watching you tell the story. It's yeah. fabulous. Fabulous when you have work like that. And, and this is why, Sam, I, I, I end up sort of... Um, Retirement gets further and further into the distance um, because you, you know that it, the anxiety in, in that system before we started, you can imagine, it was incredibly high. Mm. So what did I wish they hadn't told me was you know, the night before saying to me, you know, we're relying on you. This is a big risk. And <laughs> the chairman's told us we can't have this fail and doesn't believe it will work. And, and, you know, I said, yeah, it's not all dead to me. This is a job. This is a... What do you wish they had um, told you, Peter? Um, well, rather than having said, um, it's all dead to you, I wish they'd been able to come and say, this is a partnership. We need to make this work together. Mm. That's where I had to get them to. Mm. I had to get them to the point that every time we, every break where we stopped and we met with a facilitator team of leaders, we they, they weren't telling us what we needed to change. <laughs> every time we had to say, no, no, what do we all need to change? Fabulous, fabulous work. Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. I, I really do appreciate it because I also recognise that it's so important for people to hear that, you know, even the greats in the coaching and supervision world um, have some bumps in the road. So so hearing that, I know, will certainly have, a, have an impact. I, it makes a big difference to me to hear people talking about their successes as well as the epic fails so that it normalises things for people. So thank you for sharing those stories. Well, that's it for today's episode. I hope Peter's stories have given you pause for thought as you continue your experience of your flows and your falls. I'm Dr. Sam Humphrey and thank you for listening to Coaching Stories. <laughs>